0: it that we have conversations with people who don't want to talk about Christianity? That is going to be the topic of today's podcast. This is Ryan Pauley and you are listening to Coffee House Questions. You know, it's been a few weeks since I have been able to sit down and record an episode uh, since I think um, my last one was with uh, Dr. Jeff Zerwink on Big Bang, cosmology, and evangelism. And so that was a lot of fun. Uh, And uh, then I had a little break I took for spring break. I had a break from school. And so I took a break and didn't record a podcast. And now we are back. Uh, It's also the end of the semester here at uh, Biola University, the Apologetics program. And so I'm busy working on papers and reading and trying to get stuff done. And so it's just a busy time as things are kind of coming to a close with both work and school. So, but here we are again. And I want to discuss this thing. But before we jump in, uh, I just want to say that. On mm, Tuesday, May 2nd, I am going to be having an interview with Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective, the author of God's Crime Scene, um, Cold Case Christianity, and now his newest book, Forensic Faith. And so we are going to be having a discussion on Tuesday, uh, about his newest book that has just now come out. And so if you have any questions or comments for Jader Werner Wallace, uh, anything, you know, he's in the movie God's Not Dead, and uh, if you just want to ask him anything or, or hear any specific questions about his newest book, uh, you can send those in, uh, again, at uh, contact at com is the email, the Facebook page is facebook.com slash coffeehousequestions, on Twitter at ryanpolly 3 or uh by text message at seven one four nine eight nine six nine two seven and so I'm really looking forward to that interview and and that will be posted next week. but as far as this week, uh, it's been very interesting with a few conversations that I've had recently uh last week, I was in Arizona uh, on my spring break and hanging out with my brothers playing a lot of golf and shot my first eagles so that was really exciting uh getting that opportunity and And, uh, anyways, well, one night I was sitting down talking with my brother and, and, and he started to tell me about some friends of theirs and how, uh, they just, their friends, they had kind of invited them to church. They went one time and then they just seemed to just not really care much and, and, uh, and, you know, kind of asking, how do we start this conversation? How they don't really want to talk about God. You know, they're not, they're not against the idea of religion. When we go into their house, you know, they have like Buddhist statues and, and so they kind of have this idea, but how do we talk to them about God? How do we get that conversation starting? And so we had a really good discussion that night as we kind of, you know, just kind of looked at some of the ways and what are ways that we can ask questions and what are some things that we can bring up and kind of have that conversation well, right after that, I, I came back to school. I started working again, and and I was talking to another teacher just about how how we do youth ministry, and 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 how do we get people? This this teacher is le- leading some students on uh, a mission trip, and just this idea of like how do we how do we get students to understand the importance of following Christ? How do we get them to realize the importance of going? And serving people, right? What is, what is the heart of missions? You know, to, to go and make disciples, to, to bring people into a right relationship with God. Well, why should we care? Why should we care about bringing people into a right relationship with God? And the same question was asked in, in my classroom. We were talking about Christian economics. And, you know, who is it that should be helping the poor? Do we tax the people of a country and have the government then create all these government systems? Or should the individuals themselves, should the, the community, the, the family members, the churches in the community, should they be helping the poor? And a student asks kind of the same question of, hey, if, if the government is not helping, why should I? You know, why should people care about the poor in their city? Why don't we just let the government take care of it? And this is a huge worldview question, Right. And this idea of, hey, we should care because these are valuable human beings who have been created in the image of God, and we should want them to be in right relationship with God and care about their eternal destiny. The problem, though, I think with students is not all students care about eternal destiny or even thinking about this question of what's going to happen when I die, right? We're so caught up in the moment of of what's happening right now. What, what, what kind of things can I get right now? How can I entertain myself right now that we, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about the future and especially with students today, what I'm trying to get them to think about is how your decisions now are going to affect your future In you know, how you show up on time and your work ethic and all these things and how that affects your future. So this teacher was talking to me of just, hey, you know, I also see this problem too. Like, how do we get people to care about the poor and the needy and and just, and bringing people into right relationship with God. And so we started kind of having this discussion of that we have to help students see the importance of their decisions and the fact that these are valuable human beings created in the image of God. And so from that, our conversation then kind of went to, okay, so how do we get them to do this? And realizing that I think one of the biggest problems today is just this problem with apathy of just not really caring. Um, And I think that's one reason that makes it very difficult to have conversations with people who are not Christians is just that kind of this apathetic mindset, this, you know, I I don't really care. Like, even if it's true, whatever, let's just, I just want to do my own thing. And I'm just going to worry about my stuff right now. And hey, in one day in the future, if all of a sudden something happens and I'll care about it, okay, fine, I'll care then. But right now I, I just don't really care. And so we kind of, that's one aspect of people that it just becomes very difficult to have the conversation with. That's one, I think, one group of people. Another group of people are the ones that maybe have been hurt by the church uh, or something has kind of been pushed on them. And so for that reason, they kind of don't want to talk. And that was kind of more of the conversation that I had with my brother. This person had kind of grown up and had kind of religion pushed on them. And so now it's their chance to kind of get back and, and say, hey, you know, I don't want things pushed on me. I kind of want to just live for myself. But then at the same time, I do recognize that there's kind of a higher being. I do recognize that there are things wrong with the world and, and we, we should try and work together to kind of alleviate pain and suffering. And so those are kind of two of the conversations I had. Well, then to, to kind of cap it all off, I guess I, I got an email from a listener and uh, this was a mother that wrote me in, and was asking if I had any insight that could help uh, to open up a real conversation about God with her son, who is uh, thirty years old, uh, and um, and just that this her son, um, she said, leaned towards Buddhism, had interest in other relig- religions, and leaned towards Buddhism, but it seems like the only religion that he didn't want to talk about was Christianity, and is either and is even kind of hostile towards it. And so she just wrote me and said, hey, you know, what kind of ideas do you have? And so since I was already planning on recording this uh, and then these conversations just kind of came up, I said, man, there, there's definitely a need that we have to, to discuss some ways. And so that's what we're going to do and, and kind of look at it from two different perspectives. And so first, um, I think let's take it kind of from this idea of, you know, the person just doesn't care. And, and, and how can you talk to someone if they just don't care? Well, here's one thing that I have found extremely beneficial in my classroom this year. For those of you that maybe are, are newer listeners, I am teaching comparative religions and worldviews. And I'm using uh, Understanding the Times, which is a textbook written by Summit Ministries. And what it does is it, looks, it takes six different worldviews, Christianity, Islam, secularism, Marxism, New Spirituality, and Postmodernism and you learn about these six different worldviews, and then you look at 10 different academic disciplines. Uh, For example, like theology and philosophy, sociology, science, history, uh, politics, law, and and different examples like that. And then you look at how does each one of these worldviews uh, apply to that academic discipline? Um, How does it view it? And what is really interesting is that at the beginning of the year, most of my students probably would say, you know, I'm not a Christian and, and you know, I, I don't really think Christianity makes a whole lot of sense. Well, now that we have studied worldviews the entire school year, I think the majority now have flip-flopped, that the majority would say, and I think the vast majority would be my guess, is is that Christianity does make the most sense. And here's what I think is very important and to think about. When we are studying these worldviews in class, the students who say, hey, I'm a secularist, I believe that secularism, and and that's just what I've grown up with. Well, what we have done is we've studied secularism, and we've looked at how secularism makes sense of all of these academic disciplines. How does secularism make sense of uh, philosophy? And how do we understand things? How do we know things? What does it say about, you know, this idea of materialism and naturalism that, you know, a lot of secular philosophers, atheist philosophers, you know, that we don't have minds, that determinism is true, that we don't, are not even making choices and choosing our actions. Well, what about when we look at, you know, the view of humankind? What do we, what about when we look at ethics and this idea of moral relativism? And so when you kind of look and study this from each perspective, what I come to find students is students are saying, well, that doesn't make any sense. And i would say, yeah, I, I I agree with you. That's why I'm not a postmodernist, or that's why I'm not a secularist, right? When postmodernism says that we can't even access reality, no truth can be known. Well, that is a truth that can be known—that you can't access reality, right? But to say, you know, there's not everything is just a social construct. Gender is a social construct. Even the human being is a social construct. That doesn't fit with what we understand. And even that is making objective truth statements. And then therefore, it's self-defeating. And so I think that when you look at each one of these worldviews closely, you start to see problems with them. And again, that's why I always say that I'm a Christian because Christianity makes the most sense. Christianity best explains the world around us. That when you look at each one of these, def- these kind of academic disciplines, Christianity makes the most sense. It creates the objective standard for morality. It creates the, the dualism, the dual nature of a person where we are physical, but we are also spiritual, which helps us understand our identity and our mind and our decision making and our will and our emotions and all these things. And you could just go down the list. And so what I've found is that when, you, when we study these worldviews and students begin to see that what they have always thought made sense actually doesn't. Then they start to think about these issues. And, it, and it's, I don't remember where I heard this, but it's the thing is, that, you know, it's, it's hard to convince someone that they need to go buy a new car unless you can show them that their old car is no good, right? As long as someone thinks that what they have is perfectly fine, it's going to be very difficult to convince them that they need to go buy something new of that same thing, right? I'm not going to go buy a new computer when my computer works perfectly fine. Now, if you can show me that my computer is slow, that it's breaking down, that it has viruses, that it's, you know, that all these things that starts crashing on me. Now that I realize this computer is no good, now I'm going to start to go, Okay, maybe let's start looking and investigating new computers. How much does it cost? Right. And you can you can do that with all things. Same thing with phones. You know, what advantage does this phone have over another one? If you can't show me that that your phone has an advantage over mine, then I'm not going to go out and buy a new phone. Right. That's one reason why I told my students a story this week, um, kind of about price and, and kind of what drives price and, and kind of, you know, we, we pay what we, we look at everything and we decide kind of what do we think that this thing should cost or what am I willing to pay for this? And I, and I remember my, my cousin one time offering me uh, an Apple Watch. And I said, yeah, that, that, OK, I'll take your Apple Watch. And he goes, cool. Um, you know, I'm going to sell it for like, you know, I think it was like $250. And I was like, OK, well, I'll give you 20 bucks for it. Of course, he said no. But here's the thing. It wasn't worth $250 to me, right? Because I, for my, the watch that I have right now, works perfectly fine. And so why would I go spend $250 on an Apple Watch, right? I don't see the reason why I would need to switch because what I have is fine. And a lot of times when people are in worldviews and looking at religions, they just think, hey, what I've always believed, it's worked for me. I've never known anything different, and I don't think I need to know anything different because this is fine. And so when we come along and we try to say, hey, I think you should think about Christianity. You need to accept Christianity. They're going to go, well, why? You know, what I have is perfectly fine. I don't need to switch. And But however, if we can start asking questions— and I think this is where we can start kind of looking into their worldview. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, then how does this work? Then it starts to kind of poke a couple holes or, you know, as Greg Kochel says, it puts a stone in their shoe, right? Then they leave that conversation with us and they're thinking. They're starting to have to think about something, right? They're uncomfortable with the worldview that they have. And so I, I've, I've seen this happen many times with conversations that I've had with people where we just discuss something small. And, and I'll discuss, you know, well, what about the, the existence of your mind? Do you have a mind? And they say, well, yeah, I think I have a mind. And then we look at, you know, atheist philosophers and, and scientists that say, you know, you don't have a mind. Everything is determined. That the, the mind, as, as um, Daniel Dennett says, you know, consciousness is just an illusion. It's your brain playing tricks on you. Is this really what you think? Is that, does that really explain your understanding of reality? that your brain is just playing tricks on you that you are not making any decisions how do you best explain what you understand and how you view reality and you just kind of leave it at that you're not you're not forcing any religion on them but you just you know how do you explain this how do you explain your awareness uh, and your understanding of reality because atheism and materialism doesn't seem to do that and at least It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? And then they leave that conversation. They're thinking about it. You put that stone in their shoe and get them to think. And I've seen this where people begin to think about issues like that. Then they come back and they say, okay, this isn't making sense. I need to understand this. And they want to go deeper. And that I think is where that is huge. And that they want to then go deeper. They want to study this more in depth because they understand that there's a consequence to their decisions their beliefs have consequences ideas have consequences and so they want to better understand things and so now they are willing to investigate and ask questions and try and understand how this works rather than you trying to just tell them this is what you should think and so i found at least with with kind of the apathetic just i don't i don't really care it's not a big deal to start asking questions and trying to get them to think a little bit can be very be- very effective No, obviously there are some people that just no matter what you say, they just don't want to think about it, and there's nothing that you can say at that point, right? There's no argument that is going to convince them, uh, or 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 uh, uh, by no argument that is going to make them a Christian by itself, right? We we understand that it's the Holy Spirit that brings person into right relationship with God, and so there, I think that there are many ways in which the Holy Spirit. Uh, goes about doing that, that some, you know, through loving the person and through testimony and through arguments and reason. And, and I think there's many different ways the Holy Spirit can use. But to just say, oh, we have this one argument and then everyone becomes a Christian, that's just not true. Uh, it doesn't work that way. But to then say, well, I don't want to give any argument. I think that also goes kind of to the other end of the spectrum that we don't want either. So I think that helping the person uh, just think about their worldview Okay. You don't really care. Well, what do you care about? Okay. Why do you care about those things? Cause here's, here's my, here's my guess is that when you ask someone, okay, you don't want to talk about this. You don't care about this. Okay. Well, what do you care about? Well, you know, I care about family or I care about, you know, my friends. Okay. Why do you care about friends? Why are friends important? Right. Cause now you're getting down to this idea that relationships are important. Well, why is it important to be loving towards other people rather than hating them? Right. Now we're getting back to this idea of morality. And that there's a moral standard that's better to love someone than to hate them. Now, maybe they won't go that way, but that I think that's one common way that someone might go with that understanding. And here this comes back to kind of the two conversations I had with my brother and then this email that I received this week. Because here's kind of what I thought. It was very interesting that both of these conversations had a person that... Uh, Didn't want to discuss Christianity. That was kind of against kind of Christianity, so to speak, um, but was leaning towards Buddhism in both of these cases. And so uh, how could you go about this sort of conversation? Well, I think always with every conversation, I think it's important to ask the person, um, if you, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? I think this is very telling. And Frank Turk talks about this all the time, that if the person says, yeah, if it was true, I'd be a Christian. Okay, now let's discuss our reasons. Let's discuss and figure out where we're at. And maybe there's some misunderstandings. A lot of times the person just doesn't understand Christianity or they have a false view of Christianity. And if we can help clarify some misunderstandings, then that's going to be huge. But if the person just says, no, even if it was true, I wouldn't become a Christian or I know, but you know, and, and, and kind of gives this other kind of excuse well then we're not discussing intellectual reasons right now. That there's some sort of emotional rejection going on. And so something deep, something deeper is happening where they maybe think that Christianity is anti-something or that there's a behavior that they have in their lives and they understand that if they accept Christ that that they are going to now be accountable to a God. And I've seen this many times. Uh, before in other conversations I've had, where, where some people have flat out admitted to me, if I accept Christ, I would have to change my behaviors. I would have to change my life, and I don't want to. And so it's just this idea there's nothing that you can say again at that point. At that point, it just comes to praying for the person and being with them. And so I think that when you are. Um, in this position, just trying to convince them and, and keep just pressing them with arguments is only going to drive them further away from the truth right because they' they're not looking for arguments, they're not looking for these reasons. they're just wanting to live life the way they do. And again, I think a, a quote comes to mind from Jay Warner Wallace uh, and something I, I think a podcast that I heard from him he said when he was in youth ministry, you know he kind of had it in his mind that if if a student graduated from his youth group, and left Christianity because they just wanted to go out and do their own thing. He said, you know, that's on the student. There's nothing that I can say that will keep them from, from leaving Christianity. I can't force them to stay. If they, if they just want to leave, that's on them. He goes, but if a student graduates from my youth group and they don't believe that Christianity is true or they, don't, they haven't been given the good reasons to, to believe that Christianity makes sense, he goes, then that's on me. And so I think as us, as, as either as as parents, I'm not one yet, but as parents or as teachers or as pastors, as youth leaders, as whoever it is, that we have to understand that if the person is not wanting a truth because they say, you know, even if Christianity are true, I wouldn't be a Christian, then there's something deeper going on that we have to understand. We have to ask those questions and understand what is it uh, that's going on. If, it, if they just want to just go off and do their own thing, we just need to pray for them. And, and just trust that God will bring them back and then be ready for when they come back to keep engaging them, keep loving them, keep uh, building that relationship. And so when opportunities arise that we can ask questions, we can do that. Now, there's something interesting, I thought, when when the, when the topic of Buddhism came up in both of these conversations. And my question would be, you know, why why lean towards Buddhism? Why, what is it about Buddhism that is attractive to you? Now, obviously, um, everyone has a different response. You know, in the email I got, it said that the person really liked the idea of reincarnation, uh, that, you know, he said, you know, I, I just, you know, I believe that reincarnation is true. So I'm going to be fine. No matter what happens to me, I'm going to be fine. Well, you could ask the question of how do you know reincarnation is true? Is there a way that you could test and, and see or, or understand that reincarnation is true? Or is it is something that sounds nice, right? Because it does sound nice, right? It does sound very good that I can kind of do the things I want in my life and I'm just going to come back again and I can try hard the next time and I'm just going to come back again and I, I'm going to keep trying until things work out. And so this, this understanding of that there are no consequences for decisions, or maybe I shouldn't say that because there is karma and all that kind of stuff, but but that there isn't this eternal destination of either heaven or hell where my decisions in this life have this huge effect on me then yeah, that does sound really nice. The The doctrine of hell is not this lovey, wonderful, oh my goodness, I'm so happy this thing exists. right? If I was creating a world, I probably wouldn't create a hell. I don't like the idea of it. But just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. And so that's, I think, one thing is is there's a lot of stuff like reincarnation. Yeah, it sounds really nice. I just get another chance. Also, when you start to look at Buddhism, Buddhism... Um, it's a kind of a as you look at it, there's lots of different views on it but there from what I understand is that there's a, it's a non-theistic religion right they don't really have a specific belief about God uh, I've read some, I've talked to some Buddhists that say that they're monotheistic they believe that there's one God other Buddhists uh, I've talked to that are atheistic no there is no God um you know but here's the main idea right is when um, back when it was the about 500 BC or so when when the Buddha uh, was born, Right. He, he for the first time when he was about 30 years old, uh, if I'm remembering right off the top of my head, uh, I wasn't planning on saying this, uh, but he the, for the first time, he kind of left his secluded castle that he lived in his whole life and saw the pain and suffering of the world for the first time. And so he made it his mission to kind of understand and end the pain and suffering. And so when I think you get down to the core of Buddhist teachings, it's not really a, a, the, a religion based on God. But a religion based on the idea that pain and suffering is not okay and we need to end pain and suffering. And so I think if you kind of start to ask the person, and and that is very attractive, right? It's very attractive to say, hey, let's all work together. Let's stop fighting about these different things and let's just focus on ending the pain and suffering in the world. That is very attractive. But I think when you start to ask the person, if they say, you know, all beliefs are true you know, all ways are right, you know, as long as we just work together and as long as we love people. And this is kind of the conversation that I had uh, with my brother. Now, if that's the way that they go with it, if that's what is attracting them towards Buddhism, well, I think that can be used to point towards Christianity. Because here's the thing, is if the person is attracted to this because pain and suffering, they don't like the idea of pain and suffering, and, and everyone should just get along, well, do they really believe that everyone should get just get along, and I'd ask them, well, what do you mean everyone should just get along, or why why is it that you don't like this idea of pain and suffering? Well, here's here's the thing, I don't think that they would say that everyone should get along because that they would say that there are some behaviors that cause pain and suffering that are wrong that should not be done, right? If someone is going out there and murdering people, they wouldn't just say, oh, let's just all get along and let the murderer keep murdering. No, he needs to stop. Well, if that's where they're going with this, then immediately, well, why is murder wrong? Why does he need to stop? Well, it creates pain and suffering. Why is pain and suffering wrong? What is the foundation in which we say you should not take someone else's life and why these certain actions are wrong? Is this not just the way the world is? We just came to a bad place and everyone just says it's relative morality and you do whatever you want. Or is there some sort of objective moral standard for which we judge these things. Now, it's interesting that I think that the person who might say, hey, these behaviors are wrong, apart from Christianity, is because the moral law has been written on their hearts, as Romans tells us, right? That God created us with a sense of morality that that even without believing in him, we can still understand that these things are not okay. And so it's not saying if you don't believe in God, you're immoral. But if God didn't exist— then where do we have and understand morality? And so I think that you can use this as a way and say, okay, well, why Buddhism? Why is this attracting you? Well, because you know it's it just focuses on alleviating pain and suffering. Why is pain and suffering wrong? You know, what about these certain behaviors? Why should we love someone else rather than just be what well, has a nice effect? No, why should I do it? What is the foundation which says you should, you ought to love? rather than uh, do something else. And this kind of gets into that difference between h- how you know something and, 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 then, and why it is the way it is. You can know something is good because of the effects, but does that really, you know, but how do you know it's good? Epistemology versus ontology. And so here's just a, a couple examples, I think, that just asking questions, you know, starting off with this idea of if, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Understanding, are, you, are they at a place of emotional rejection of Christianity, or is it an intellectual rejection of Christianity? And then when you kind of understand that, then kind of, well, where are they? Are you leaning towards this? Are you leaning towards that? Why, why, do, you, why do you think this makes more sense than this? And just understanding where they're at so you can begin to ask those questions, put stones in their shoe, and just get them to think. Get them to think about the worldview that they hold to and see if it really makes the most sense. Because when you evaluate these worldviews, each one, I think, begins to break down except for the Christian worldview. And again, that is why I'm a Christian, because it makes the best sense of reality. Now, this person that emailed me, they followed up and say and 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 in, and in their final response after i I responded and and kind of gave them a few uh, pieces of advice, it came down to this idea uh that God didn't respond when the person asked for help, and that kind of God wasn't there and felt this kind of rejection and that is um it breaks my heart that someone uh would feel that way, and I've had students come up to me with that exact same answer that they are not Christians because they prayed and God didn't answer their prayer. And at that moment, we have to understand that this is a difficult situation for them, that this was a difficult experience where there's a lot of emotions and we can't just immediately go into intellectual reasons, but we have to come alongside them. We have to love them and build that relationship, continue to be there for them. And then as those conversations come up, I think we can start to have discussions about this idea of prayer, of, of that God isn't just this, you know, the easy button or that, you know, use the vending machine. I want this and out it comes. But that there are reasons why God gives us things and not others. And we have to understand uh, why God does the things that he does. And we can't always understand, right? God is so much farther above us. We can't always understand why he does the things that he does. But through relationship, we can slowly start to talk to that person and hopefully get them to understand and see a clear view of Christianity. Uh, If you have any other questions or comments, there's more things on this issue that I would love to have talked about that we just didn't have the time. Make sure you send those in. And let me just ask you guys one thing. I don't ask much. I don't uh, ask for donations to do this. I do this out out of my own pocket just because i love to. But if you could go to iTunes and leave... A, a comment and a rating and, and so that this can be rated and get to out to more people. I would appreciate that so much. You guys are awesome. Have a wonderful day. God bless. This is Ryan Polly with Coffee House Questions.